comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. May God lift up an understanding of this word. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. You see all these things, they asked? Jesus asked, For truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. Oh God, be for us a light in the darkness and be for us a tune that we may listen to and follow. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Looking back, although I'm not sure how aware I was at the time, I grew up in a period that seemed like the world was coming to an end. When I was 10, I woke up on the morning of November 22nd, 60 years ago, 1963, with a crick in my neck. I complained bitterly. My mother let me stay home, resting on a couch with a heating pad, watching whatever pitiful TV there was on the only three channels we could get. No Mr. Rogers, just like soap operas most of the time. I happened to be watching As the World Turns after lunch. when I discovered that the world I thought was in some order turned to chaos. Thanks to YouTube, I remember exactly what happened. At 12.40, the screen cut to a black background with large white yellows, excuse me, large white, no, um, CBS News. And on top of that, there was the voice of Walter Cronkite breaking in Here is a bulletin from CBS News in Dallas, Texas. Three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. Then the screen went back to the soap opera. I remember being stunned, scared, but also confused, not, one, not knowing for sure if that break-in was part of As the World Turns. <laughs> but an hour or so later, Walter 
Cronkite breaks in again, this time with a live camera. They didn't have the camera set up to begin with. He's sitting at his desk in the CBS newsroom, a rotary telephone on his desk, and he says, this from Dallas, Texas, the flash apparently official. He took off his large black rim glasses, said President Kennedy died at approximately 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. He put his glasses back on to cover the tears coming from his eyes, and then with a voice breaking, he carried on with the message. Alone, because my mom had gone to the store, and frightened, I called my father at work in the office. He was receptive, but I knew that he was not excited about me calling him because it was right in the middle of a meeting. But I told him, Dad, I just saw a newscast that President Kennedy's been shot. What? He said. President Kennedy, is he dead? Yes, Dad, he's dead. Are you sure? Yes, Daddy. Is your mom there? No, Dad, she, she went to the store. I'll be home in a few minutes, he said. Just stay where you are. Now, this wasn't my first encounter with that kind of worldly chaos, but my first real awareness of what was going on a year before my father and I had gone to some sort of fair or something at the Charlotte Coliseum and Merchandise Mart, um, where there was a huge exhibit of different sized air raid shelters. Apparently they were for sale. And we moseyed around looking in, and I thought, these are cool, what great forts these would be. Or I, mean, I just really didn't understand the gravity of it. And I, I, I didn't understand why someone would need it. And I know it was also around the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis, and my parents, thank God, did not like have the conversation about how anxious and worried they were around us, but we could tell, my brother and I, we intuited something very scary was going on. I figured it had to have something to do with those air raid drills that we had to do in school, like they would actually help by going out into the hall and getting on our knees and putting our heads down. But I didn't understand the gravity. But when Dad and Mom got home on November 22nd, 1963, I got the gravity I'm not sure I wanted. We watched our little black and white football-sized TV on a cabinet as big as this pulpit. From the moment they got home, until we went to bed the next morning, all day Saturday, and on Sunday morning we were eating breakfast when we watched Jack Ruby, who apparently was a presence at the Dallas police station because he owned a nightclub and gave a lot of freebies to policemen. He was welcome in and out of the station at any time. They also knew that he packed a gun. Nobody ever asked a question of it. He was there when Oswald was first arrested on Friday as he walked through the hall. He was there again on Sunday morning, and he walked out calmly and shot Oswald to death in the stomach as we watched live. The world seemed like it was coming to an end. 
I wasn't really old enough to understand the existential threat that we faced during those early years of the 60s. But with the Cuban Missile Crisis and President Kennedy's assassination, the race riots, the Vietnam War with its protests, the assassinations of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King, and the age of Aquarius with a sense of anything goes, I grew to understand it deeply. And although we didn't really know it then, maybe one of the biggest events of all was the six-day war between Israel and three Arab armies that Israel won, defeating them, taking over the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Esque Mosque are located, the third holiest site in all of Islam. And as they took it over, they raised an Israeli flag as if to say, it's now ours. Thank God for Moshe Dayan, who was head of the military, who when walking on to the, to the Temple Mount and seeing the flag, immediately ordered it to be taken down because he knew the decision to claim that land would lead to World War III. For Jews, it's the holiest site where Solomon's temple was built after David, the first temple built right there, but yet destroyed by the Babylonians in 587. They sent the Babylonians into exile. Then King Cyrus of Assyria took Babylon by the shirt and beat them and then gave Israel the freedom and even the means in some way to rebuild the temple in 518 BC. It was the holy of holies where it was thought God lived primarily of all the other places God in the holy of holies and it was spectacularly sacred. It lasted until AD 70 when with a Jewish revolt, the Romans had had enough and burned the temple down after stealing everything out of it of value and turned it into a rubble pile 40 years after Jesus' death. When Matthew wrote his gospel, it was after the temple had been destroyed in 7 AD, 70 AD. And I'm saying this because this temple Jesus refers to in this morning's passage as these disciples are leaving it gobsmacked at how spectacular and large and amazing that it is. Jesus warns them, I tell you truly, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And they, they just couldn't get their head around it. But when they're later sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, which is... Uh, uh, overlooking Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley, they independently, privately went to Jesus and say, tell us, when will this happen? Is this the day of the Lord that, that the prophets speak about? Is this your coming and the end of the age? And what does Jesus tell them? Do not be deceived. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And you will be deceived by many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but 
But see that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is not here. It is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Famines and earthquakes in various places. It's to the end. It's not the end. It's to the beginning. It's the beginning of the birth pangs. So when the temple came down, the Jews and the Christians were beaten and lashed and arrested and hung by the Romans, and they thought it had to be the end of the world, even though Jesus has said. Matthew's writing to them now, telling them, remember what Jesus said. He told you this would happen. The end is not near. It's the beginning of something new. So when it looks like our foundations are crumbling, much like today, it's not the end of the world, just the beginning of something new. It just hurts like labor pains, and there's a lot of suffering. Mark said the same thing. In fact, he wrote it first, and then Matthew and Luke wrote it to their particular churches so that they would not lose hope while being persecuted. In the meantime, Jesus tells them, keep calm and carry on, as Churchill penned during World War II, never neglecting to say that we are in a terrible, terrible time, not deceiving his people any more than Franklin Roosevelt did at his fireside chats. They told us the truth of what we were in for, all saying to us, keep calm and carry on. And I'm sharing this to you because it helps us keep in perspective what's going on in our world today in Israel and Gaza and all of Palestine and Ukraine and Russia and China and unfortunately we think soon to be Taiwan. In the United States with the toppling of trust and the onslaught of conspiracy theories. It feels like all our temples that we have built our lives on and our culture on seem to be crumbling from religion to families to universities to labor markets to politics to the economy to the newscasts, leaving us with anger and resentment and fear and scapegoating. It's so easy to be disheartened, to become cynical, or worse, apocalyptic. It's easy to give in to hating each other, to demonizing each other, to choose to believe that everything is a fight, especially when so much of our news media and politicians find so much support by feeding us these fears and the dark side of everything. You see, fear is addictive, and the more we watch it and listen, the more we want it. So we can just wash our hands, or fold our hand, or just put our head in the sand, but Jesus says no, especially at times like this, it is time to reach out with our hands put our heads down and go to work and proclaim the good news of the gospel by living lives of truth that tell the truth 
by caring for the least and the lost, by letting justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty, by not giving up on our friends who have become more like our enemies because we don't like the way they voted. There's a lot of energy boiling up from people and a lot from Christians. In many cases, we're all guilty, but in one particular case right now from a particular part of the evangelical church that seems to continue to believe that the end times are near. In fact, I got something online. The Battle of Gog and Magog, the first end times war, saying that this is the beginning. Natural disasters, climate change, immigration, government debt, political division, what's going on? There's a lot of interest in going down the rabbit hole of all the different conspiracy theories, left and right. And now with this war in Israel, it confirms what many have been taught to believe in the beginning, that Armageddon is on the way and that the Temple Mount is going to be the place that they're going to reclaim Israel's ownership and start building the third temple when they find the perfect red heifer. And at that point, the second coming will happen and it will be finally ended. But Matthew's clear. It may look that way, but what he says is, go to work. There's a remarkable book by a huge presence in psychiatry, a 95-year-old man named Robert J. Liston that he's recently come out with called Surviving Our Catastrophes, Resilience and Renewal from Hiroshima to the COVID-19 Pandemic. He says the only way you can survive a catastrophe is by owning it, by claiming it's a catastrophe. To reject a catastrophe, he says, is to reject the survivor state and to bring about profound social confusion that can give rise to great conflict. He said, this is what has happened to us during the catastrophe of COVID. He said, at first it was pretty much accepted that COVID was a catastrophe and that we should take drastic measures. We closed the borders, good decision. We made a major push for pharmaceuticals to learn quickly as they could with a lot of money to support them how to, how to uh, invent vaccines. But soon it all became politicized with this misinformation campaign about vaccines, about wearing masks, all of it, he says, a political ploy to manipulate those who were prone to denying reality. He says, Dr. Deborah Burks, the former Trump administration's coronavirus expert, said that looking back now, looking back, 130 lives out of a million 200 now, 10% of who died could have been saved if we had stayed the course and implemented proper mitigation measures but instead we get conspiracies, conflict, misinformation, false remedies, all leading to denial and false promises. And the ones who believed it got lost in it. And the weird thing 
for me at least, is that how many Christians there are that went along with this. This huge contingency of Christians who hope that Israel will use this time to destroy the dome of the rock and the Alask Mosque are pretty much the same Christians who believe that COVID-19 really wasn't that big a deal. It would go away when the weather got warm or that you know it might just be the precursor to Jesus coming. Friends, as Christians, we need to listen more to the words of Jesus than we do MSNBC or Fox News. As Christians, we need to read the Bible more than we do social media or the stock market. As Christians, we have to claim the truth even if we do not like it. There are facts in this world that cannot be negated by calling them alternative. The temple will crumble? Yes, there will be wars and rumors of wars. People will come in my name, but don't give in to it. Keep calm, Jesus says, and carry on with the mission. Proclaim the good news. Do acts of justice. Be kind. Tell the truth. What an irony it is, and I don't know why it feels that way on Veterans Day, what an irony it is that our military leadership in the last 20 years has been exemplary in showing us what servant leadership is all about. A military trained to do violence, but no, they're trained to do peace, and they have kept themselves above the fray as best they could to keep their mission. Now, if all this seems really strange to you on, on, the, on the edge of Stewardship Sunday, when I'm calling you to participate in our stewardship process to fund this church, from where I sit as your interim pastor, I see a congregation who is not afraid and not anxious, who is willing to accept and entertain, or at least try on the truth, who is unwilling, unwilling to deny it, and who wants to give witness to the truth of Jesus Christ through worship and preaching and teaching and caring for the last and the least and the lost. I see this congregation that has an enormous strength to face the facts and not lose heart, to keep calm and carry on. I mean, folks, You've been having to put up with me for 19 months, but you don't seem that irritated by it. <laughs> it is actually sort of cataclysmic, if you think about it, but it's not. It's amazing that you as a congregation trust the process. Two years may go by, but you trust it. The energy and the hope and the vision and the willingness you have to accept reality as it is, is unbelievably Christ-like. That's all I need to say about stewardship because you don't really need any coaxing. You do it. You do it. I just want to share it with you. What a blessing it is to be this church. For I can think of no greater place for our time and our treasure to be spent. And in my lifetime, 
including the 1960s, I can think of no more important time than now. Let us pray. Oh God, be that spirit for us of calmness and also activity. In your name we pray. Amen.